This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good evening. It's Wednesday, it's 10 o'clock, and it's time for the Late Late Chat Show with me, Toby Payne-Cook, and without my co-host and excellent friend, Mr. Ed Finch. It's a school night, and it's late for some of you, so thanks for tuning in. Stick with me for a light-hearted look into the darkness of the late-night teacher soul. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio. So, this is where I'm supposed to say, hello Ed, how are you? But sadly, Ed Finch, the wonderful Ed Finch, is not feeling very well. So I had a big decision to make earlier today, well Ed and I kind of made it together, of whether I ran the show um, on my own, um, which kind of goes against what we were trying to do, or or whether we we postponed. But um, I've had so much nervous energy building up to this, I think um, decided it was the right thing to do to, to kick off. Um, I'm just going to mention, first of all, how did this come about? How did I come to be on Teachers Talk Radio? Well, I suppose it starts with Twitter, first of all. I was a late adopter of the Twitter sphere in October 2018, um, and I suddenly realised there was a world beyond the school I worked in, um, or the TES magazine. And so, uh, but then it was new voices this year. So Hamish hey Smith, Jane Manzoni, uh, co-organises uh, New Voices Conference in London, which I kind of muscled into and did a talk on the sort of something to do with science and curriculum, etc., which we're not going to talk about today. And uh, I had a small but perfectly formed audience. And Jane then invited me on her show just Saturday week ago on the 20th of November. And quite a few people after my verbose um slot as a guest on Jane's show uh, said you need your own show Toby and I thought well, you know I don't know if I've got time in my life for my own show and then I just this was on the Twitter sphere and Ed um, picked up on it and said well maybe we should do one together and I'm not even joking so Ed and I had a bit of whatsapping and then here we are so um, we, we pitched a co-hosted show to Teachers Talk Radio uh, and they accepted our idea and this is theoretically um, trial show one, although this is obviously not our co-hosted show. So anyway, that's that. So first of all, a little bit about Ed. I he You all know Ed better than I do, because Ed Finch is a legend. He's won an award um, as TES Person of the Year, I seem to remember a few years ago, for co-founding the Brew Ed movement. Um, brew as in brew of tea or coffee, but more likely a brew of beer, and Ed as in education. And the Brew Ed um, thing is absolutely wonderful. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, but obviously COVID has sort of affected it somewhat. Um, but I'm sure Brewed will sort of start cropping up around the country. It's a load of teachers who get together on a Saturday and talk about a little bit for 10, 15 minutes about something they're interested in, have lunch, chat, bit of a quiz, get to know each other. And it's wonderful. And so Ed um, is the mastermind behind that. And he's he's got, he's one of the most affable and charming men you could know. So it was really flattering that he was wanting to host this show with me. And it's sad not um, to be kind of here. Thank you for the comments. I can see I'm a bit of a technophobe and a bit of a Luddite. So I'm not sure if I can kind of type and speak at the same time, but I can see everything that, that Tom and Seema and, and the people joining. So thank you so much for joining everyone. Um, so that's a bit about who Ed is um, and how I met Ed and how Ed and I have decided to, to do this together. Um, well, Ed obviously has a big presence on Twitter and and the Brewed kind of history. And he used to, until very recently, teach at a primary school in Oxford and in, in the, I think, the Socialist Republic of East Ox, Oxford, if I remember correctly. Um, and he then moved down to work for Dartmoor Matt, 
Dartmoor Multi Academy Trust, I think starting in January. And Dartmoor is um, a huge lump of granite um, in the middle of Devon, which is God's own county. I come from Devon. My mother still lives there and um, in, in our family home. And so once I realised that Ed moved down there, I arranged to meet him. We went for a walk on Dartmoor about uh, ooh, April, I think, Easter holidays, I think. And we met and had a lovely walk and a talk. Um, and so that's how I got to know Ed. And then I've met him twice since. I've been for a pub lunch and obviously a brew and a little tour of Great Torrington, a little town in North Devon, which is my my local home hometown. I actually live and work in Kent. But um, so, so that's how Ed and I got to know each other. And there we go. Enough talking about Ed. We wouldn't normally be doing this. Um, I wouldn't normally be talking at you in the way we'd be having a kind of conversation. That's how Ed and I were hoping to do this thing. We were hoping to sort of have some theme uh, features and then kind of bounce off each other. So I haven't planned exactly what I'm going to say for a whole hour, um, but we'll see. We'll see how we get on. Let me introduce myself. Now, I am Toby Paincook. My Twitter handle is CreeEducate. Uh, and why is it CreeEducate? Well, it's a play on words, I suppose. You know, you've got educate in there, um, kind of squeezed in between create. And I like to think of myself as a sort of creative thinker. And that education is, you know, I think at its best when it's kind of being creative and inspiring inspirational and so that's why I kind of came up with that Twitter handle but we can explore that in more detail another time. I I think it's best to describe me in the context of this radio show as a as an indie outsider. Uh, I teach in an independent school and an independent prep school. I hate the term prep school. Prep means preparatory, preparing for your senior school or preparing for life. I'm not, never quite sure, but it is, it's it's in the vernacular. So there you go. And what that means, um, for those of you who are not familiar with the prep school setup, is that it's it's basically a nursery, an infant school, a, a primary school, and a middle school kind of combined so so it goes up to 13 so you can but a lot of children leave our school at 11 because uh, we're in kent and the, the 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 grammar system is universal in kent so quite a lot of parents send their children to the independent school i work in theoretically to give them a little leg up the ladder um and and then um go on to grammar school now i am not going to make any commentary really on um, grammar schools or independent schools, whether they should exist. It's a conversation we can certainly have. I think in principle, I believe that all schools should be wonderful and that there should be wonderful local schools, well invested, um, and that should be the centre of a community. And that therefore, in my utopia, there probably would be no independent schools and there probably would be no grammar schools. But I think, you know, as I've got older, I'm 49 now, the world is not perfect. And, you know, abolishing grammar schools or abolishing private schools would not necessarily make all schools better overnight. What definitely needs to happen, in my opinion, is there needs to be a lot more money thrown at education. And just um, so that's that's just I don't want to get into the politics of it. But I do work in an independent school and I hope that doesn't stop anyone from listening to anything else I say. And I was privately school educated myself. However, in principle, I think I am quite sort of left leaning and would like the world to be a little fairer and less divided than it is. Um, so that's that's a bit of background. So that's why the indie outsider, why the outsider? Well, and I will talk about this a little bit later on, but I've always felt a bit like an outsider at every stage of my life. So because I never went to my local village school, I felt like an outsider in the village I grew up in because I went to private schools. And so I wasn't kind of part of my village community. But then the first private school that I went to was a 
boarding prep school where most people boarded from the age of eight, but I went as a day pupil. So I didn't quite fit in to it. And then that school closed down and I went to another school and that was another boarding prep school. And so I started there age 12 when most people were, oh, my screen's gone sleepy and that's fine. Um, and that was, so I joined a school when everyone else had been there for sort of four years. And so it was quite hard to get stuck in. And then I went to another senior private school and I wasn't very rich. Now, obviously, you all think that you've got to be rich to go to private school. Well, yes, but this was in the 1980s. My dad privately educated seven children. It was bonkers. Um, and so there wasn't much money left. We had old bangers, cars. We never went on holiday. Our fridge had very simple food in it. We ate Finder's crispy pancakes, just like everybody else, and ate our supper. It was called supper, not tea. Maybe that's a bit of a giveaway. Um, and in front of the telly, watching Tomorrow's World and Top of the Pops. And so, so, and I went to this school where everyone was incredibly rich and incredibly posh. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later when we talk about influential teachers. So, uh, and then I've been a scientist. So after school, I went to university, studied chemistry, and I went straight into science and was a scientist. I worked for Zen AstraZeneca, not AstraZeneca, Zeneca Agrochemicals, which was part of AstraZeneca for six years, formulating various products. And then I moved to Pfizer uh, in 2001, um, when Pfizer was famous for a different V, not the V vaccine, but V for, I think we're after 10 o'clock at night, and I'm not teaching young children, so I can say the Viagra word on um, the radio at this time. So I was, Pfizer was very famous for Viagra back then. And I worked for Pfizer for two, from 2001 to 2011 and used to go into schools, do a lot of talks on uh, careers and science and so forth. And that's where I became more interested in education. Around that time in the 2000s, in the noughties, um, I started having children of my own. So Ollie, my eldest uh, son, uh, my eldest child is was born in 2003. He's just started at Nottingham Trent Uni this September. And then I have two daughters and they are at school in Kent. And so I started becoming more interested in education as a parent as well, became primary school governor, et cetera, et cetera. Then Pfizer redundancy happened in 2011. And um, that was, then I had to have a big rethink had to have a big rethink. So I kind of entered teaching at 41, did a PGCE and became a teacher. So I've got a very outsider view of education. I absolutely love teaching. And I think education is, you know, in the words of Nelson Mandela, you know, the most important thing, et cetera, et cetera, la la la. I can't remember the exact quote, but um, I do sort of, sort of look at education. In fact, I look at everything with a slightly outsider viewpoint. So I describe myself as an indie outsider. I have talked too much about myself. So now I'm going to pause. What would have been happening for the first five minutes of the show if Ed was here is we'd have been having just a catch up, a chat. How are you? What's happened? How's your week been so far? Um, he may have asked me how my week's been so far. I've just had a parents' evening, an online parents' evening, um, year seven. So I teach science from year five to year eight, and so um, that was that was quite nice. Um, so I didn't get here until home until eight thirty, and now here we go. So what are Ed and I hoping to do with this show? Well, we're going to have three kind of main features, perhaps four main features. One is going to be tweet of the week. Then the main section is going to be called the three most. And then we're going to have question of the week. And if we kind of, we might surprise you with a little musical interlude as well. It's, it's late in the evening. Ed, as you know, plays the ukulele and is quite a creative and talented musician. And so might, you know, play us a little folky song um, for us to, um, to kind of, you know, just relax and wind down at the end of the evening. So I'm going to start off as we would. Um, and I am now going to try and use some of the audio effects and see how we go. So do do do. Let me see if this works. Uh, no, not that one. I wanted this one. Here we go. Tweet 
of the week. Okay, so this is supposed to be a conversation between Ed and I and what we've seen on Twitter and what's kind of rocked the world. Now, I am not that active on Twitter during the working week. We're all too busy, aren't we? We're teaching lessons, planning lessons, you know, going to meetings, sending emails, blah da 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 and, um, and so, but... I was particularly active on Twitter on Saturday. So most of my tweets of the week, of suggestions for tweets of the week, I need to open up my bookmarks, as I have been cunning, and put them on my bookmarks. And so I've got a few contenders for tweet of the week. Um, I think we, I would just like to flag up something outside of teaching. Big fan of philosophy. So yesterday... Nigel Warburton, who wrote a short history of philosophy, or I can't remember the name, he sent a tweet, my choice of the five best philosophy books of 2021. So if you're looking for Christmas presents, um, there is an autobiography, not an autobiography, a biography of Hannah Arendt, um, which I think that would be quite good by Samantha Rose Hill, um, and a book called Being You, um, a by Anil Seth about consciousness and so forth, which sounds like a great read, and a book called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, um, Time and How to Use It. 4,000 Weeks is, of course, about 80 years. Um, so those are some. that was something kind of outside of teaching. Um, John Biddle yesterday, he sent a tweet. We teach children who all have individual emotions, feelings, worries, and dreams. We don't teach units of data who exist solely in order to be added to a spreadsheet so that Ofsted go away happy and someone gets a nice pay rise. I thought that was a pretty good, slightly polemic tweet. Um, I Good, good, good. Emma Turner has been on fire recently. Emma Turner wrote the book on flex, um, flexible working and um, be more toddler. And she's, she is absolutely great. And so... Um, She's talked. She's done a lot of blogs. I think I wouldn't say there's a tweet of the week blogs recently about the primary curriculum and the the Ofsted um, framework and how it doesn't really sit very comfortably, certainly with smaller primary schools and and all this kind of thing. So that's all quite interesting. Um, Alex, I think, is listening. Alex Wright. Um, we were talking about. Uh, I don't know. This was a reply. Hang on. Let me see what it was a reply to. I liked Alex's comment. I mean, Alex sends so many good tweets and so many good blogs and so forth. Um, oh, that's right. Mr. Napthine, three days ago, said, man, oh, man, what is the world coming to? Teenagers are so touchy now. You heard it here first. Um, and with a article by Indian Knight, our children are losing the ability to argue. And then Alex replied, yeah, because Twitter is proof that adults are conversely super chill, rational and accepting. Um, I thought that was quite insightful. He's a very wise man, is Alex Wright, who's got his new show, I think, starting next Wednesday. His first show at um, on The Late Show, I believe. I'm plugging your show, Alex. Um, I think that's, is that an 8 till 9.30, The Late Show, before Ed and I next week? Um, so um, have a check that out, because he'll have lots of wonderful things to say. This one really made me laugh. From Stephen Sputnik Steve, who um, is... A, he works at Litchfield School. I don't know the precise Litchfield Cathedral School. I think in um, North Birmingham. And Steve Sputnik, Steve, this was a referencing. Uh, this was talked about on Have I Got News for You as well. Um, actually, on Friday, so this is four days old. This tweet now. My raging testosterone can only be calmed by Sylvester McCoy in his question mark jumper. Um, talking about the outrageous, um, I can't remember the politician um, who, who, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, about um, you know the the outrageous suggestion about it was all gender politics and women and 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 in in and anyway there was a good tweet anyway i'm not going to go into the context of it um this was a reply in a conversation between nick wood myself and tabitha i think tabitha mcintosh um a great term i thought what about epistemic trust the level of our belief that what others tell us is both credible and important to our lives talking this was in response to i like the term epistemic trust um, anyway, but my tweet of the week, 
Um, oh, Nick Wood as well. A lovely Nick Wood. I don't think he's listening now. He might listen on catch up. He um, has um, his fashion teacher, isn't he, Nick? And he's the sort of daily stoic, sends us some messages in the mornings. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy to follow. Nick Wood on Twitter. Um, one of the nicest man on, men on Twitter, I think. Um, he said this tweet, and this is a wise tweet, and I might touch on this a little later. Sometimes I wonder at the extent to which learning is an act of faith and teachers are the priesthood of education. That was good. But my tweet of the week, um, I've read a lot out, um, and I'm this, this is probably going longer than it would do normally in the show because I've not got Ed to chat to. I'm sort of you know, skewing what we do here. So please, please bear with me. Thank you all for listening and your comments. I'm much appreciating it. Um, a very profound. Thanks, Noreen. Yes, I think it was pretty profound. Um, right. But my favourite tweet, I am not going to read out the swear word, even though it's after the watershed. But this is topical, um, as it is December the 1st. It is the start of Advent. It's also my mother's 80th birthday. Happy birthday, mum. Um, Help my friend decide. This is by, I don't know his name. He's a head teacher in a primary school. He's very funny on Twitter. Um, AR at Llewellyn 20. Help my friend decide that he shouldn't be putting his tree up yet, the moron, because it is November and it is too something early. Um, that made me laugh a lot. And so that was, that was you know, I think Twitter's at its best when it's silly, and it's funny. And um, there we go. So Alex says, if you want someone to chat to, I'll call in. What a good idea. I will invite Alex in as a guest. So um, can I invite you in, Alex, in just um, a couple of minutes when I do the next feature? Is that OK? Now, I need to play now, I'm going to play the news about halfway through, so we'll start that. So I'll call Alex in in a moment. Now, how do I? I don't know. Do you have to? Uh, where is Alex? How do I accept someone? Um, I have to invite you in, do I? Oh, Alex right, wants to call in. Invite them. I'm going to say invite. There we go. I'll invite you in now. I've sent your invite. There we go. And then I can accept you. Connected. Alex, does that mean you're in now? I think so. Can you hear me? It does. That's brilliant. You are such a gentleman. Um, earlier on, I, I thought you said you were going to go to bed. Yeah, um, I was, but then I, I couldn't possibly miss your debut, could I, Toby? No, no. And um, I, 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 I just okay. So we've just broken free from my my schedule here, but that's okay. You couldn't. That's really kind. I, I, you are someone who's come into my life via the Twitter sphere, and I think it's it's fairly mutual. Um, although your writing is far surpasses my my writing, um, but you're fairly new to me on the Twitter sphere, and but you've sort of you've suddenly got quite a big presence, and you called in to Tabitha's breakfast show and you were just wonderful on that a few Thank you. a few weeks ago. And and now um but when you saw that Ed wasn't able to make it, you you were really supportive earlier on. So thank you. Um Oh that's no, no, fine. Don't worry. Right. Well, you know what I'm gonna do, as we've done three to the week, I'm gonna start using a sound audio effect. Wait a minute. And I am going to introduce the next um, section of the show, which should be normally the main part of the show. It should have probably started about eight minutes ago. Um, That's anyway. fine. The three most. So this section is called the three most or the three best. And this is going to be where Ed and I normally, or today, Alex and I discuss a particular topic and today's topic is the three most either important influential or inspirational adults from your childhood now obviously those adults could be teachers or they could be family friends or they could be like a scout leader or a dance teacher or, or all right do, do they whatever. have to be do they have to be real and or alive uh, they they don't have to still be alive All because right. they and but yeah, no I, I mean think... but could they have been dead at the time? Oh, so because I've Girl. got two, I've got two immediately, neither of whom are teachers. Uh, one of whom is dead now and was alive back then, and one of them 
it was definitely dead. Okay. I, I, you, you've taken this on an, an obscure <laughs> avenue already. Um, <laughs> yes, I okay. suppose I have. Okay. Right. Uh, can I can I pause you for a moment? I'm going to please gonna do. Say yes, of course. Can but the reason this is the feature this week is comes from Adele. I I am not the sort of man who watches live audiences with famous people on ITV. Nothing Mm -hmm. against ITV, nothing against Adele. It's just not really my kind of thing. But because I'm on social media, I'm very much aware that Emma Thompson said something at Adele's ITV thing. And then there was an English teacher, I believe. It's always an English teacher, isn't it, Alex? Um, An English teacher. The best, absolutely. Um, It's because you can't do anything else unless you become a journalist or a writer. Um, Whereas if you're a scientist or a mathematician at 23 and you're really, really good at it, you don't sort of wake up and think, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and teach kids the same science experiment year in, year out, when you could go and become a scientist or an engineer. Whereas if you're brilliant at English, or brilliant at history if you don't become a journalist or a creative writer then teaching so so the best teachers are english teachers and history teachers um sorry fellow scientists you know controversial that one um but anyway adele praised an english teacher i think who taught her in year eight yeah and it got me thinking about this and that's why this is our sort of chosen feature um and um got me thinking that you know the whole inspirational teacher thing when we're children right. you know and, yes. and of course we're we're, te- we're teachers so so we tend to think that teachers are a little bit more important than they really are because because we are teachers and and self-beliefs are quite important thing so yes um anyway i'm gonna waffle about some of that in a bit more detail myself in a moment right. i think it's time that you spoke as you're here so talk sure. to me about these two dead people who influenced <laughs> you as a child all right well the first one's jesus all right, and I'm not, and not in the sense. Well, well, so the first one's Jesus. Now, Jesus, you know, we've got historical Jesus who probably did exist. The Jesus that the Jesus I'm talking about is is kind of a um, is a concoction between the Catholic version of Jesus and the version of Jesus that my mum said was the was Jesus, and then the version of Jesus that I ended up thinking Jesus must have been like. Um, and I to quote Eddie Izzard, you know, in my head, Jesus was a white man from Oxford, you know, because all the photo, <laughs> all the pictures around our house are of Jesus with like Pantene Pro V hair and a beautiful, you know, beautiful beard. And he is white, whiter than me. And, um, and, 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 you know, he had this sort of wonderful bone structure, this sort of aquiline nose, and he was clean and serene and didn't look at all like um, a man from 2000 years ago who, you know, slept in a field. Um, but Jesus, yeah. So I, I was brought up really, really Catholic, really, really religious. Um, and I, and, and I remember quite early on, my mum was very much, um, of the persuasion that we should read, um, only things that were spiritual really. So actually I, I didn't read an awful lot of, um, you know, um, sort of secular stuff when I was a kid. I read mostly religious literature. And um, one of the first, well, one of the things I read far, far too early to really understand what the hell was going on was The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And yeah. um, from about, I think it's from like 1300 or something like that. Like it's, it's from years ago. And I, I don't know what I was thinking to honestly. I don't know what I was playing at. Um, but, I, uh, but I ended up reading this, this alongside City of God by St. Augustine. I remember nothing about that whatsoever because it made any sense. But I remember being told from a very, very early on that Jesus was the best role model you could have. And you see, now I'm an atheist and I actually can still see a little bit of truth in that in the sense that this was essentially by common consensus, a guy who would wander around telling people to stop being awful to each other. And then when, uh, you know, and, and he, he was so he sort of yeah. egalitarian, you know, in a society that said you're a prostitute, you're terrible, you're a tax collector, you're even worse. You know, uh, he would go, no, no, I'll come <laughs> stay at your house. And all the important people who thought it was so great, Jesus went, no, you're all hypocrites. I'm not having, not having anything to do with you. And um, I'm going to go stay over there in that poor lady's house, you know, and I'm going to be humble, you know. And it's just, you know, we can get, we can, you know, not even yeah, thinking no. very mythologically. That's a just, really... just think. Yeah, go it's on. a really great, great choice. No, I think um, that, that that's uh, 
it, that is going to relate to something I'm going to say when I when I when I mention mention one or mm. two or yeah. one or two of my choices in a, in, a, in a moment. Um, really interesting. Um, so Jesus, yeah, big big influence on yeah. John, and and also Alex. I just want to check. I think you were born in the 1980s. Yeah, 87. But basically, listening to you speak about yourself, um, I'm wondering whether you were actually born on the 24th of August, 1972, and <laughs> you are my blood blood brother. Um, Could be, you know, because um, you, you, I, I was had a very religious, well, not a really religious upbringing. My schooling was quite religious, um, mm. and I'm, I'm, that's I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Um, and I am now. I mean, I, I don't quite like to describe myself as an atheist, but I'm I'm an extreme agnostic um, mm. because, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I struggle with, I think it's a wonderful metaphor. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful metaphor, the, the, the Bible story for, for everything that happened. And I, I do think we need some kind of, we need something beyond science in our lives. You know, I love science and I love the, you know, the, the theory of evolution by natural selection and origin of species. It's, 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 it's fact. It's, it's, well, it's still called a theory, but, but, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I don't lie. Science can't explain love and science can't explain bring, bring meaning really. It can explain everything, but it's, it's not, you know, so the Dawkins esque sort of, uh, uh, militant atheism i slightly struggle with which is why i sort of he needs more jokes he needs more jokes that's his problem he does need more jokes he just needs more jokes this is the problem most things can be solved (laughs) by putting more jokes in i said this i said this on uh, tapatha's show i said i said you want me to engage with educational research throw a joke in once in a while if not what do you expect me to do you know give me a metaphor you know i'm not interested otherwise and that's the thing right you know like about jesus he loved a metaphor didn't he he did love a metaphor. He um, absolutely Alex, I'm gonna, loved it. Yeah, I'm going to pause you there because I know mm-hmm. that we're over halfway through and I've got to play the news and an ad. Play the news. So is that yeah. all right? And then I'm going to come back to my religious-themed um, choice. Is that all right? And then we'll come back sure. to the second choice. Is that okay? Abs- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. No worries. Um, music. Right. I'm now going to go. Here's the news, everybody. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. On Monday, the government recommended the wearing of face masks in communal areas and corridors in schools in response to the Omicron variant. Teachers are now urging that this recommendation becomes a mandatory ruling as it now is on public transport and in shops. Head teachers feel the advice for schools makes it difficult to enforce and teachers would like the guidance extended to classrooms. Dr Mary Bousted, NEU Joint General Secretary said, COVID does not recognise the difference between a corridor and a classroom and a failure to require face coverings in both areas in secondary schools is a misstep in the latest guidance. Dr Patrick Roach, NAS UWT General Secretary, agreed. If schools are to maintain safety during the remainder of this term, the government will need to accept that its messaging needs to be stronger. Face coverings have been mandatory in Scottish classrooms since November 2020. In Scotland, educational institutes are increasingly introducing gender-neutral toilet facilities. Schools in Dundee, East Renfrewshire and Edinburgh have all introduced these facilities following warnings in 2019 from Scottish National Party politicians and by the Scottish Equality and Human Rights Commission that schools would leave themselves open to lawsuits if they did not provide them. Parents across Scotland have, however, raised concerns over gender-neutral toilets in secondary schools, which can see 12-year-old girls and 18-year-old men sharing facilities. Harry Scott, Scottish Borders councillor, said, Why is it not possible to have male, female and gender-neutral toilets which would cater for the needs of everyone? Why can that not be achieved in our schools? This has been your daily education news briefing.
Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello, Alex, are you still there? Oh. Oh, Alex is on mute. Oh, oh no, I am. I am. No, yeah, I am. Yes. Cool. Great. Thank you. Thanks for staying with me. So do you mind if I, so I, the most important, we, we are going to, I'm not going to get to the end of the show, but that's fine because this is a skewed show and I don't think Ed and I will ever get to the end of the show either with, with feet fitting in everything that we're going to do. I think the three most might be challenging. It might be more like one most or something anyway. Um, but I'm going to pick up on your, your choice of Jesus because I, I, my the most important person in my childhood outside of family um i'm going to talk about in a moment but because i went to a boarding school um from an all boys boarding school a really wonderful place i i just want to say for those who are you know from the other 93% of the population that didn't go to independent schools that when i finished my school career, my little 7% microcosm of society down in Devon and then Dorset, um, that I I kind of kicked against that sort of upbringing and that elitism. And, and for me, it was more of a social elitism than a financial elitism um, with our kind of class system and so forth. And I kind of kicked against that and, and, and sort of avoided the private school educated at university and went into science. Ed, and there were a few private school educated colleagues at Pfizer and Zeneca, but, but the world of science is not like the army or stockbroking or estate agency, which is largely populated by private school educated people. And um, well, some estate agents. Um, and anyway, blah, 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 blah. So I kind of kicked against it. And, um, and then, when I left industry, kind of went back to it anyway. But so my old boys boarding school was an incredibly beautiful place, a place called Milton Abbey in Dorset, which is an absolutely beautiful building. And my dad died when I was 16 um, from from cancer. He suffered for a couple of years. Um, my mum was his third wife. He was quite a bit older than my mum, 24 years older than my mum. So he, he didn't die old, but he was he was 70 um, and I was 16. And um, obviously, this was really tough. Um, age sixteen, at an all boys boarding school, um, experiencing this. So I, and we worshipped every morning in this abbey. We, it wasn't Catholic; it was it was it was um, you know Anglican, um, but um, beautiful, beautiful building. Impossible not to be sort of overawed in inside the building, um, whatever your kind of religious faith and we had 10 minutes in there every morning and then 40 minutes on a Sunday and when I was sort of 14 15 before dad died I sort of experimented with floppy hair and trying to look cool whilst walking in and we giggled about you know the purple-headed mountain line in 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 all things bright and beautiful as everybody does I think when they're at school um and and I was you know I wasn't particularly into it but then dad died and suddenly you know he can't have just gone you know that was that was how I felt. So so this this building and the words said inside this building and the comfort of it and particularly the comforting voice of Reverend Salmon, Salmon, the the school chaplain was was really important to me. I just think that you know I I got quite into it. I became confirmed and and helped as an altar server and all that sort of stuff. And and um, although Reverend Salmon himself wasn't a huge part of my life. It's just the nature, I think, of sitting in a beautiful building with a, some uplifting organ music, some traditional hymns, and singing these words and listening to the dulcet tones of a preacher, not an evangelical preacher, nothing, nothing but someone who sort of spoke 
with wisdom. And yes, they referred to the Bible, but it was more sort of philosophy than religion, really. And some of the sermons and, and the feeling of there. And that inspired me to get into sort of public speaking. I used to love, I won, I never won anything at school except for the chapel reading prize. And so, because I, I do, as you can tell, I, I like talking. I have quite a, um, a well-enunciated voice and it was, used to be terribly posh, you know, but I've got tried to get rid of that. Um, and so um, I, I think that he was a very important person, but it was more about the place and more about sitting and listening to wisdom and thought for the day every morning you know i see what and, you mean yeah i i think do you know as you were saying and that i think i missed that i think i kind of missed mm. that you know that in in the modern mm. world you know i put into room 101 on on jane's show um disney themed assemblies which she told me were a really niche thing but sort of using disney as moral teaching you know it's just oh, you know it's just a bit limp Whereas mm. a bit of traditional, and you know, we do not presume, presume to come to this thy table, O Lord. I just love the words, and if they're if they're sort of said by someone with a great voice who you want to listen to, uh, I, I found that quite powerful. And so that, whilst I completely changed my tack and kicked against it as an adult, um, that has sort of influenced me in terms of you know listening to people who've got a bit of life experience got a bit of wisdom a bit of moral teaching i kind of like that anyway there we go back to you alex well it's interesting what you're saying actually about i think i think with the whole um sort of christian aspect none of it's uncertain it's all very proclamatory it's all very sure of itself you know there's no there's, there's no a point in any of the gospels where jesus it says and and lo did jesus go well i reckon this is what dad would have wanted but i'm not really sure you know he's always going and this is how you get into kingdom of heaven and you're not going and you are going and, and it's that kind of it, it's so certain you know one of the things you talk about the uh, you know you talk about the um, the chaplain for example you know i think all the things the chaplain would have been saying one of the reasons it's so comforting is because it's the language of certainty it's not we reckon there's a kingdom of heaven i'm not entirely sure how to get there christianity is all about right kingdom of heaven it's definitely there this is how you get there don't do that do that do that try that don't do that you know and, and it's that kind of i think that's really comforting when you feel mm. a bit unmoored you know and when you're younger and you don't know what's going on you know that horrible thing you know of, of being bereaved for example because i had the same thing um no, I was seven. Um, my, I had a, um, a little brother who was um, stillborn, oh. and um, and I remember the kind of Catholic pageantry that kind of went around that, and it was this big, um, and it was this big thing that sort of hugged and held everybody. Um, and, and yeah, and so I think that yeah, that, that kind of religious aspect it is about it's about something safe, isn't it? Because it's predictable. You know, yeah. at no point is the Catholic Church going to go, guys, do you know what? Actually, we're going to change everything. Turns out God doesn't exist. Instead, we're going to worship yogurt. You know, it doesn't it doesn't ever change. It's it's this whole idea of infallibility and dogma, um, which which for me as well was a major problem, which is one of the reasons I don't believe in it anymore. But it's also was no. a really com comforting thing, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, well. I, but I don't like it's not that it, it wasn't it wasn't the dogma that I think that 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 was important or even the comforting it was more it was more the and i'm chosen reverend salmon because he could just tell a story and it wasn't he wasn't telling bible stories you know he was mm. just preaching a sermon with a good message it was you know it wasn't it wasn't he wasn't really preaching he was he was just he was just a great orator really and, and mm. i think and i think that's something that you know and, and it you know gosh it's it's why I don't really want to say his name, but you know he's he's not obviously a great orator anymore. If, if he ever was, Boris Johnson. But but you know people people like orators. They're kind of comforting, and and they for some reason they vote for them. But you know I know you've got to have a bit of substance and a bit of moral values behind it. And I, I'm not interested in orators who have no moral values behind them. So I'm not interested in Boris Johnson. But but I think that was why I sort of chose him. Not not because of what he was saying it was more how he was saying it and 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 that sort of that that's a calming environment i'd like to move on to to um your second choice ah right and okay get away so, from, let's can, can we move yeah, away, get away from religion yeah. that is yeah. enough jesus for this evening thank you it is right. it's enough okay, jesus um, for the month well, well, okay, we might have so, to do it again on the twenty fifth of December, I suppose. We okay. might have to do a bit of Jesus. Well, won't is we? it, it is his birthday, um, yeah. right? <laughs> so, um, my second one is Terry Pratchett. 
Um, so okay. I um, so Discworld. going to well, quite. Uh, and the reason, so Pratchett, um, I it was was kind of the first author I think I truly fell in love with that wasn't like Saint Augustine or Thomas Aquinas. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I never really liked them. I just read them because they were there, and I had no other options. But um, but yeah, but Terry Pratchett, I remember um, being a very quiet kind of bookish odd child in my middle school in year seven and I really and I, and I'm, and I moved schools um, from a two-tier system to the three-tier system so I ended up coming into year seven into this middle school because it was the closest Catholic one um, and so all the kids had already done two years five and six in this school together and then I just came in moved into this area and in this school and I was just really lonely and I just didn't know what to do myself. And I ended up just going, I ended up going to the library every lunchtime. And, um, and I got on quite well with the, the librarian. And, um, and, and at the same time, I, and then I, th I think through her, I discovered all these Discworld books. I think I was attracted to the mad cover art. Um, mm. And I remember reading them out of sequence as well, although I later learned that really doesn't matter. I remember <laughs> reading all of the, um, these Discworld novels. And I think I read most of them to be honest with you, when I was about, so year seven was about 11. And I, I just, and, and I didn't get all of it, to be honest with you, because Pratchett's uh, humour is very complex and very elusive. Um, but I remember the sheer bouncing madcap joy of it, the sheer imagination of it, the sheer, it could go anywhere at any point. And I think from a writing perspective, because I loved writing, I loved being creative, even at that early age. And he had a tremendous influence on me. I've only just realized, to be honest with you as an adult, the influence that he did have on me. The idea yeah. that you can untether your whole self into a piece of writing. And, it, it, you know, nobody writes like Pratchett. And I kind of thought, I look at him sometimes and think, do you know what? I don't want to write like him. I want to write like me. But he only he could write anything remotely like him. He was because he threw himself so completely into being like him on the page. And, yeah. and I suppose for I, that you know, reason. I have to confess, I've never read any Pratchett. Now, I know he's 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 widely loved and you're convincing mm. me that I should have read some. I didn't really read any thing until I was in my mid to late 20s because mm. I went to I was forced well not forced but I I kind of we weren't in year groups at my first prep school you know you were kind of mm. put in ability ability groups so I was I was quite bright as a young boy um and and was I read was asked to read um I did enjoy Cider with Rosie by Laurie Lee and mm. I enjoyed um the rats Mrs Frisbee and the rats of Nim but um by kind of Robert O'Brien I think and um but then we read George Orwell's 1984 when I was about 10 and I was a simple country boy in in North Devon and I mean, you know, I need to go back and read 1984, but 1984, age 10, as a simple country boy in North Devon, primey. I mean, it put me off reading for life almost, and but then I got back into it in in my twenties. Um, so, so, um, yeah, that's that's. But I can see you. I mean, you've been, you are a writer, and and I can I can see that that influence and the interesting choices. I'm going to um, just go back to what we're what Alex and I are talking about and just in, in case anyone's tuned in a little bit late um why I, is Alex on this show um Ed Finch the wonderful Ed Finch is not feeling his best hopefully he's going to get well soon so I am solo hosting Ed and my first um late late chat show on or the late late show on uh Teachers Talk Radio, and Alex has very kindly joined in. Alex Wright at Curtain Sleep is that your your um, Twitter handle? Yeah, that, it's Alex? a Macbeth reference. Yeah, a Macbeth reference, and and so Alex has joined in, and we are talking about um, the three most important, or the two most actually, as it's going to be, um, most important <laughs> adults in our childhood. Alex has been obscure, well, not obscure, obtuse. You've definitely not been obscure. Um, you've been obtuse in choosing. Um, Jesus and Terry Pratchett. I've chosen the Reverend Salmon, my school chaplain. Um, but I just want to sort of open up before I give you the most important person, um, adult outside of family in my childhood. I just want to sort of say that I don't know if there were any really for me. So to go back to the context of Adele having this teacher hero and how it's sort of perceived that a lot of people, you know, behind every successful person, there's a 
teacher that inspired them. Is this true? I am not totally convinced. I was at the Wilderness Festival, a, which is, you know, fits with my sort of posh background. Wilderness is a very foodie festival um, in Oxfordshire. Uh, and it has a kind of literary tent and it has some fairly, I, think, I don't think the musical lineup's that wonderful, but it has lots of ridiculously rich sort of stockbrokers and investment bankers who put on their gold lame suits and you know, do a few lines and go kind of raving all night in the woods. Um, it's that kind of festival with some very expensive food and champagne. But the literary tent in 2016 was quite good. Um, and there was a discussion. There was a scientist who'd written a book about the science of cities, and I can't remember her name. And there were a few other scientists on the panel. There was a panel discussion. And it was talking about, and the, the, the person who was chairing it, I think, was a TV, minor TV presenter, Dallas, someone who's presented some educational stuff on, on TV as well. And uh, he said, right, you're all scientists. You must have been inspired by a science teacher at school. And, and then the audience are about 40 or 50 of us in the, in the audience. And, and hardly any of us put our hands up. And, you know, nothing against, I, I did actually have one of my choices would be my, my A-level chemistry teacher. He was pretty good. And I think, I think he, he was pivotal in my decision to move into science. Um, but I wouldn't say particularly inspirational. And I think that whilst I had some very good teachers, I then decided before coming on, to, before doing this feature on the show, to speak to my nearly 17-year-old daughter, Gemma, who's pretty opinionated and pretty vociferous in her thoughts on things. And I said to her, "What were the three? who are the three most influential or important adults in your childhood, uh, you know, beyond family? And she said, well, it's certainly not a teacher. And I said, oh, Gemma, really? And um, she said, but then she, she, was, she gave some quite interesting choices. She chose a babysitter that she, we had when we were younger, someone called Lucy, who's quite sort of arty and hippie and cool. And she used to act out bedtime stories to her when, when she babysat. And so that was, I thought, a really nice choice. She chose one of her best friend's mums, you know, sort of her second mum, who's, who's quite different to her first mum. No further comment. Um, and um, and then she also chose her dance teacher. So Gemma's a great, really into dance from about the age of eight to sort of fifteen. And um, so Miss Katie, a dance teacher. But and I said, what about what about your dad? That's me, by the way. Um, I taught her taught you taught her science in year seven and eight. And she said, um, well, Dad, you, she said something really sweet. She said, well, Dad, you're a great teacher, but you're my dad. So you know, and and you're a teacher. So I'm not going to choose a teacher for the most information. But it got me thinking that maybe I'm a bit non-conformist. And I know I shouldn't be. I'm not anti-teacher. Obviously, I am a teacher. And I think teachers are wonderful. But I think we kind of over-egg the importance of teachers in, in shaping people's lives. But... Then I, I think we, I think, um, sorry, Toby, I think we overeg the importance of anything being intentional. I think most things are an accident. So we just kind of Absolutely. blunder from one thing to another, don't we? Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that I think got thinking about, you know, this semantic memory and episodic memory. And you always say, you know, people say, you know, a great teacher is not someone who, um, a great teacher uh, who is someone, you've got to remember how they make you feel. So, you know, it's, it's events, isn't it? It's episodic. So, so people who inspire you or influence you and make you feel great or, or make you see things differently. And if you're busy teaching the key stage two maths curriculum or the, 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 the key stage four English curriculum, if you're busy doing that, you, you perhaps don't have that much time to, to, you know, unless you're an exceptionally you know, it lets you develop a strong relationship with people. Um, uh, Tabitha's just said, we are all expendable and replaceable. Sorry, lads. Yeah, I think she's right. Um, and, um, and then Tabitha's going on about science teachers and novelty ties as well. Yes. So I think that that's, there's something in there. But so I'm now going to talk about the most important adult in my um, childhood outside of family. And they were a teacher but they didn't teach me. It was my housemaster at my boarding senior school. Um, at, for those of you who've been listening for the whole show, you'll know that my father died when I was 16. He suffered with cancer for two years before that. So I was at an all boys boarding school in Dorset and um, a guy called Charles Cowling 
I'm, I'm not still in touch with him, but I, I would like to track him down. But he he um, chatted to me quite a lot. So, you know, what happens at a boarding, um, all boarding, boarding school, you know, is that we would we would have our lessons and afternoon games, of course, and then we'd have some more lessons and, and then we'd then we'd um, have supper. And then between 7.30 and 9 o'clock in the evening, we would do our prep. And, and then after 9 o'clock, we'd have a bit of free time and he would be available in his study for general conversation. So before my dad was, um, when he was kind of in his final weeks, I was chatting to him quite a lot. And, and, you know, he was just, he was just great. And then the day my dad died um, was Monday, the 21st of November, 1988. Um, He actually died in the morning and I was at school and I was sitting my French GCSE early. And it was the, uh, I think Tabitha and I've had a conversation about this on, on the Twitter sphere, and he, uh, so I sat, was setting my French, I can't remember, my reading paper, I think, the comprehension paper, so I'd done the two orals, the oral and the aural, um, and I'd done the uh, reading paper, and so my mum told uh, Mr Cowling not to tell me until after I'd done that, and so he actually didn't tell me until the evening, and he just called me into his study, and he sat me down, and we'd been talking quite a lot anyway, and he just said, Toby, it's happened. And he didn't say anything else. And I just sat there and I knew obviously exactly what he meant. And I didn't cry straight away. And, and he was just wonderful. And then, and then I sort of said, gosh, you must think I'm heartless and I'm not crying. And then, then I blubbed my eyes out a little bit later once I was on the telephone to my mum who came to collect me the next morning, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but he was just, he was just brilliant. Now, he was quite unpopular. He was quite unpopular with uh, a lot of the other students. He was an English teacher, a drama teacher, and and he never taught me anything except for being my housemaster. And then he made me, two years later or 18 months later, he made me head of house and we used to go and drink port in the evening and his room was full of books and he was wonderfully flamboyant and wonderfully non-conformist and, and just great. And, and our house, there were five houses at the school and ours was the non-conformist house. So, you know, everyone else in the school was a bloody, excuse my swearing, um, you know, there were a lot of sort of alpha males and a lot of, you know, sporty, we played rugger, you know, and we, 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 yes, I, and, and some of my friends or my contemporaries in my year, well, you can't be head of house, you're not good at cricket, you're not good at rugby, you can't be a head of house, you can't be a leader if you're not a sportsman, and, and he was brilliant, you know, he sort of, he saw the character in people, and, and, and he was a very flamboyant person, and I kind of, you know, he was just, he was just sort of inspirational in that sort of way, just a great human, but, you know, very important because he was there for me at a very you know, difficult time in my in my childhood. And so that's that. I noticed there's only two minutes left of the show. So that was um, that was why I've chosen him. So, um, Alex, we have got nearly to the end of the show. And the third feature that Ed and I are supposed to do, which we are going to Ed and I are going to be able to do together next week, I think now our question of the week um was um going to be and a question of the week was going to get a sound effect i'm going to do the audio effect for people's benefit do it question of the week epic i mean that's rock and roll isn't it um and what more do you need <laughs> um i think that the question of the week was going to be We've talked about teachers quite a lot because of this three most thing um, this week and or teachers or people have influenced our childhoods. But it was going to be, do teachers have a tendency, a greater tendency to take themselves seriously, um, to, to take themselves too seriously and take Twitter too seriously? And so I'm just going to leave that with you. I think Alison Honeybone on Twitter was very funny about teacher types last night. Yeah, she was, Tabitha, wasn't she? Yeah, she was great. She was excellent. And and Tabitha as well and, and various other people. And I think Tabitha made a good point that there is no stereotypical teacher type because a primary school teacher is quite a different thing to an English teacher, to a science teacher. But then... I don't like stereotypes at all. So um, I'm going to wrap up there, everyone. Alex, thank you so much for being my spontaneous Ed. Um, Absolute pleasure. Really great. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, Ed will hopefully be back next week. We're hoping to talk about the 
um, Christmas parties next week a bit as well. You know, what's the essential ingredient for a Christmas party? Um, what are the best and worst Christmas work parties you've been to, teacher work parties you've been to, and, and things like that. So I think that's what we hope to speak about next week. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Toby Payne-Cook. Ed Finch has been unwell. Get well soon. Take care. Alex Wright has pretended to be Ed Finch. Um, thank you and good night. Um, and um, have a great sleep. Have a great Thursday. And um, speak to you next week. Thank you very, you very much. Bye, Cheers, bye. Toby. Bye. Cheers. Thank you. Um, and now I have to just practice the closing the show. Um, bye bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.